0: Hello, everybody. This is Wei Ting here, and I'm about to present to you a preview of this week's edition of Rewind Away, where John Pollock and myself talk about the entire Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho feud of 2008, Uh, arguably one of the best feuds the WWE has produced, uh, maybe of all time. And we want to present this one to you, number one, because we're incredibly proud of the episode. Number two, because it is the first of the month, or at least the second. First or second of the month, depending on when you're listening to this. Which means it is the perfect time to join the Post Wrestling Cafe, which is our Patreon. Which is how we keep the lights on here at Post Wrestling. So, go to postwrestlingcafe.com if you enjoy this episode. Sign up, you can hear the rest of it, which also features... A exclusive interview with former WWE writing staff member Brad Corbett, who shares a lot of his behind-the-scenes memories about this particular story, as well as our entire archive of bonus shows. Not just including all previous 88 editions of Rewind Away, covering several, several, several shows, movies, and anything else from pro wrestling's past, but also every Friday, which means tonight, Rewind a SmackDown. Every single week, you could join us live or you could listen to it after the fact. It also means MC later. It means ask away. It means talk, our latest podcasting sensation, as well as access to the Post Wrestling Forum, uh, special flair on the Discord. Basically, everything that we can offer, we try to offer our patrons. Uh, support the podcast, support the po- website, and uh, enjoy this preview of Rewind Away.
1: Because we're just getting started.
0: So And uh, you can see, Scott Kwaski really put together Waiting for my man what waiting, a So that brings us to my question And my question is this How does Shawn Michaels, HBK, one of the greatest performers of all time and one of the most highly decorated superstars in the history of this business turn into such a lying, cheating, pathetic little worm of a human being?
1: Everybody and welcome to Rewind Away number 89. Number 89, a number with
0: no significance whatsoever.
1: Um, I don't know about that. There's um Alexander Mogilny.
0: That's significant? Uh,
1: that's what comes to me when I hear 89.
0: I mean, I I guess I think about about the year 1989. That's actually when I came here to this country, actually. Well, that's Uh, a very significant
1: year then for you. Yeah, okay. Sure. Today, we are reviewing the 2008 feud between Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. A rare feud that we are going to review instead of an isolated event show. I like this Mm -hmm. format change. I like it a lot, too.
0: You know, it takes definitely a bit more legwork. uh, Well, this week on on behalf of our uh, executive producer, Jake Simpson here, who compiled a lovely playlist for us, which you'll find in the show description. Um, But I really enjoyed this format of just focusing on one program throughout an, an entire year, in this case, and being able to kind of like study it chapter by chapter.
1: Well, we are going to be joined by several guests on today's show. That's right, folks, several because our espresso executive producer Jake Simpson will be here a little later on to explain why he chose this feud and his wonderful formatting time stamping skills.
0: A, a skill
1: I, I greatly admire and appreciate.
0: Yes, as a time stamper myself.
1: It's going to be uh, a great discussion on on the feud, but we're not going to stop there with Jake Simpson because also joining us is former WWE creative staff member, Brad Corbett, who was with the company during this time. He was writing on the SmackDown side, but was also uh, very much abreast of what was going on on the Raw side and being at these events. So he is going to take us uh, into uh, some of the behind the scenes of this time period in WWE. And I'm very much looking forward to that discussion with Brad.
0: How did this even come about? Like, it was not planned prior to this recording, John,
1: today. Huge planning on my part. Um, You know, months ago, when I knew we were going to be doing this feud, uh, I cannot say uh, that I lined up this interview. This happened by complete luck that Brad, hearing you note on Rewind A Raw that you were going to be watching this feud, shot me a message literally two minutes before we were supposed to start recording and lined it up way we got it's it amazing just sending a magnet out there like it was unbelievable the timing had he had he sent me a message 20 minutes later it probably wouldn't have happened oh probably yeah would have no, been would. in the midst of our review and i wouldn't have even had my phone with me it was just perfect timing and i'm glad we got we can uh, get brad on for a little bit uh to chat about uh, this time period and just some of the notes as well just about the uh, the construction of the writing staffs and what what even the numbers of the writers were on smackdown during this time which uh might be surprising
0: there's so many like great little details about this feud that i i just can't wait to you know ask to ask brad about
1: so all of that is coming up and we're going to dive into this feud from 2008 chris jericho Shawn michaels and it comes at a time when Chris Jericho has come back to the company in November of 2007. He does the return with the save us vignettes and the countdown and he comes back and oh my God, he's got short hair now. He is uh, sporting a bit of a a different look, but the first couple of months way he's really trying to find himself and he's kind of in this purgatory between Y2J and this other version of Jericho that was to come. Uh, But it's playing a babyface role and it's sort of like he's back and he's got a certain degree of star power with him. But it's very much a performer that seems to be trying to latch on to the evolution of a character, but not quite grasping it before this Michaels program.
0: You know, I have to say I thought the vignettes are so incredibly well done, so incredibly cool and just did a great job of making his return feel fresh and feel exciting. And I have to say, like seeing kind of like the result, I was maybe a little bit let down because like the character did not feel as maybe cutting edge or as, you know, fresh or as exciting as I think maybe the the Venet promised. And I'd, you know, obviously you wouldn't really get Chris Jericho in his more evolved form until a heel turn much later.
1: Yes. And with Sean at this time period, it's coming off of the Ric Flair retirement at WrestleMania 24. And, you know, we're, we're starting to look at, you know, Sean's own kind of career coming to a close two years later. And it becomes very difficult. I would say, because coming out of WrestleMania, um, Jericho has uh, spoken about this feud uh, quite a bit, uh, including in his books and the idea that neither of them really had a whole lot going on. And this was going to be just a real quick thing Uh, at Backlash, where Jericho was inserted as the guest referee for a match between Shawn Michaels and Batista. And they end up taking this one spot of Michaels tweaking his knee and then pretty much uh, analyzing this. Was this a real injury or was it Shawn manipulating the situation to confuse Batista? And Jericho ends up being the one that is... Talking about why why does Sean get the benefit of the doubt from the fans and they cheer him when he is performing these devious tactics? Yeah,
0: the twist was that yes, in fact, um Sean, the babyface, was lying this entire time. Um and I thought it played like really well into like raising some real legitimate questions if this was reality and this was a real sporting event. Yeah, why is it that we would cheer Sean no matter what even if he was playing the bad guy whereas Jericho simply calling out the truth we boo.
1: And so this is kind of the first time that Jericho and Michaels have revisited um this this program that was a very, you know, a very compelling program in 2003 that culminates with the WrestleMania 19 match but It didn't really go past that. Like they had a a really great match at that year's WrestleMania. And the difference being that, you know, both performers are much more seasoned by this point. Sean had just come back uh, when he does the Jericho program. And kind of the crux of that feud is Jericho legitimately grew up where Sean was his favorite wrestler. It was like him, Ricky Steamboat were like his big influences and Jericho playing Kind of this guy that wants to be at Jericho's level, but is not quite there. And then Sean beats him at WrestleMania and you get the big low blow spot. And it doesn't really grow into much more beyond that. I mean, they they stayed a little bit connected on television for the ensuing months, but this is going to be the program that everyone associates with these two, where I wouldn't say they're quite on equal footing, But by the end of this feud, I think, like, Jericho has greatly elevated his stock. And with Sean, I think this was obviously a story he really sunk his teeth into because you're coming off this really deep story with Ric Flair. And how do you follow that up with? And it seemed like the company did not really have a great idea, and they kind of backdoored their way into this program that became a very memorable one for both. Seemed like both men were, you know, obviously
0: quite cognizant of of the great chemistry that they had with one another, both as, you know, out out of the ring as well as in the ring from their first feud together. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, maybe partly due to Jericho's absence or or just whatever, you know, else they had going on, never really meeting up until this particular period where the opportunity presented itself. And I would say like for Sean following such a deep storytelling kind of dramatic moment of that WrestleMania, um, he seemed to be like on a, and he still does seem to be like, seems to be on a real kick of like, you know, being that sort of in-ring, um, storyteller with, uh, I would say a great deal of acting, um, relied upon in, in those matches. And I felt maybe Jericho was pr- probably like a perfect candidate to carry on that thread.
1: Yeah. And what what I really, whether this was intentional or not, and I don't think this is reading too much into things, but One of the things I really liked about that backlash spot is, number one, how much they got out of the the spot with the knee. I mean, to me, it was like they just got, like, that's the whole basis of this thing. It's just like this innocent thing that Jericho says, that's not so innocent. The man is crooked. And it's almost like Sean taking this spot out of, like, the Ric Flair playbook almost. That here he's doing some uh, underhanded tactic uh, with win justifying the means and it kind of it takes you from the last program to the next one just with this simple spot and Shawn michaels now fully engaged in this program with chris jericho and just that one tiny thing it gives all the ammunition for jericho to get him into this heel role which i think he felt much more comfortable in i felt there were a lot of like really kind of
0: novel creative ideas throughout this entire you know several months long feud how early do you feel like you know, do you think that spot was specifically designed to springboard to um, the the next match in the next month?
1: You know, we, I, and I did go back to uh, one of Chris Jericho's books, which I will borrow some notes from in this review. It's his um, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea uh, that came out back in 2014, where he goes in-depth into this feud and all of the planning, or lack thereof. Um, like Jericho has said many times that this was... Like, it sounds like this was done with the intention of doing the one match at Judgment Day, and that was going to be it. Like, there was nothing beyond that, and they were able to take this and extend it all the way until, well, we'll actually uh, cover, like, how this all ends. But, I mean, they take this, the last big match of the feud takes place in November. They actually do a last-man-standing match on, on Raw, but for for all intents and purposes the latter match is the big peak of this which is October when you're talking about backlash being in April
0: incredible all off of um a little you know fake knee injury
1: yeah but that was always you know Jericho's uh story has been like they didn't have plans for these two and both were like hey we have nothing going on why don't we keep this going like there's a lot we can we can do here so we'll start things off and we're going to go through the uh the the chapters here um where we've isolated or at least jacob has uh, isolated some matches and segments from the feud starting with judgment day from may of 2008 in omaha nebraska not exactly your regular pay-per-view stop for the company
0: omaha nebraska
1: um well why not sir why not um so this this is a great starting point because the preview ahead of this match kind of gets you all up to speed on what's been going on stemming from the phantom knee injury at backlash where Jericho is playing the re- the referee and then Michael's playing it up on TV and Jericho like playing the prosecution and Michael's finally admitting he isn't hurt and super kicks Jericho on the raw right before judgment day and during this Jericho is still the intercontinental champion. And this is one of those instances where it just feels like, well, Sean is way above intercontinental title status. So this, this match at judgment day will not be contested for this title. And once this feud is going to continue, we got to get this belt off of Jericho because it's just a distraction.
0: I mean, yeah, basically, you know, Jericho had, I would say kind of elevated himself above IC level through this feud with Sean. So, um, you know, <laughs> 12 years it can't say years if feud needed
1: the belt it did not need at least not the intercontinental belt um and that's well, maybe more a a status of the belt at the time that it was viewed upon as an albatross and not a um not, not a prize I mean, worth fighting for for our stars i mean at the time it's still the case you know like big e versus
0: yeah. uh apollo in this past week he beats him and you know does not want to challenge for the title whatsoever so um, we, we know that a money in the bank qualif- qualifying spot ranks above the, uh, one of these secondary belts and certainly a feud with Shawn Michaels ranks above it as well.
1: So at this point at judgment day, uh, we've got 41 year old Shawn Michaels and 37 year old Chris Jericho and our announcers for the evening on the raw side of things, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. And this is when Jericho is still wrestling in tights. And it would be in August that he would make the big, the the late career change to trunks, which is not often a strategy uh, wrestlers explore later in their careers.
0: Bold move. Um, You know, but I think in Jericho's case, um, you know, the man just probably wanted a very significant visual change to accompany the character change that he was going under. And
1: adding a lot more work in the gym to make sure your legs are, I guess, TV ready. In Tanner, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what Randy Orton's always joked. He's like, man, I've I've got to look like this. For, I've got to wear these trunks for the uh, rest of my life here unless I make that transition. But it was, this sounds like joking, but when this happened, that raw, when he shows up in trunks, I mean, it was very jarring because you have never seen Chris Jericho in trunks before.
0: It's weird. Yeah. It's like seeing, you know, your dad without a beard if he had a beard for a long, long time. <laughs>
1: or Randy Orton in tights. Could you imagine Randy Orton coming out in like tights? I cannot. No, in pants? I mean, the guy the, does he own pants? No way. Um so yeah, he's got the uh, the save us uh tights that he's wearing here. Uh Michael's at one point in this match applies what Jim Ross um very politically correct description of a version of a Native American deathlock. Did you catch this? I did catch that. Yeah
0: um i i don't I didn't realize there you know the we had that um maybe memo as a wrestling community to change the name of the former Indian deathlock to the native American deathlock um
1: <laughs> sure. I, I cannot recall this move being you know to- to be honest I can't remember the last time it was called the Indian Deathlock but I will tell you the next time it is said, I would imagine like this would resurface again about moving away from that terminology sure yeah i'm i'm cool with whatever uh jericho gets sent shoulder first into the turnbuckle a staple like no matter what happens wwe they will always have shoulders running into posts as a standby regardless of era
0: you're charging at a guy it's like you know it's like hard to hard
1: to get away hard to stop that momentum uh michaels is selling his ribs pretty effectively and they tie it back to the moonsault he delivered at wrestlemania landing on the desk which was a brutal looking spot with rick flair so the idea that this man has been walking around with bad ribs for two months
0: well he'd walk around with with a whole lot more injuries throughout the uh rest of the the year like every match was like <laughs> a different body part for this guy which was really magnificent to watch because i mean sean is just just incredible so at so yeah, the
1: story of sean michaels in 2008 is this dude getting destroyed physically mm-hmm. it's like
0: he's playing um you know like a operation or something you know pick a body part like there's like a voodoo doll that somebody has and just picks oh this week it's the eye this month <laughs> ribs it's, eyes it's
1: the... triceps yeah wife uh <laughs> all things getting injured uh during this program Uh, The walls of Jericho gets a big pop when it's applied, and again, Michaels is selling the ribs, and then Jericho lands on the edge of the apron, takes a sweet chin music, and drops to the floor, and Michaels gets him in, only can get a two count, and we've got Jericho stumbling as Michaels is calling for sweet chin music, but Jericho can't stay upright. And then out of nowhere catches him with the code breaker. So it's the total reversal of it's, it's making Jericho the hypocrite here. He's pretending that he's hurt. And then it's just a ploy to outsmart the opponent. And Michaels kicks out after a brief delay. He goes to the cross face. Jericho gets to the rope. And then Michaels gets his ribs dr- dumped onto the top rope. And as Jericho teases the lion salt, he instead goes for the walls and it's countered with a roll up cradle In 1554. So Shawn Michaels gets the win. And then maybe my favorite part of this. Jericho offers his hand. Michaels is hesitant. And then they shake awkwardly. And this is a total callback to the WrestleMania match. uh, Five years earlier at WrestleMania 19. Where Michaels shakes his hand. And then Jericho kicks him in the balls. Uh, But this time it's this very tense shaking of hands. Where you don't trust Jericho. But Nothing happens here.
0: It was a nice callback to that little moment that played off of that, but also kind of like was fitting of where the feud was in this particular point in time. You know, you watch this and you watch the way it, the, the, the feud starts. It's rather innocent. You know, it's like a man trying to call out another man for cheating. And yes, there's like a lot of kind of tension between the two about like um, maybe, you know, Jericho not feeling like he'll ever be good enough um, as, as you know, Shawn Michaels, but it it, it's, it's far from the blood feud that they would end up as and you know you also have to remember jericho was like yeah he's definitely leading heel here but like wasn't as dastardly full-on of a heel as, as i would say he would go on to be and so the end kind of like signified a handshake here and, and signified that okay ultimately chris jericho is still like uh, a decent guy um but that would of course all change a little bit later I, th- I thought this was an excellent match. Um, and in fact, if I had to pick maybe like the best pure wrestling match amongst all of all the matches that we would talk about today, today, I think it would be this one just like excellent, excellent um, musicians here creating just really great, unpredictable music together beat for beat. I thought everything I was able to like uh, reason and justify and and appreciate, you know, great selling of uh his ribs from Shawn michaels jericho i thought had some uh excellent selling inside of that cross face and i i thought really exhibited like some great control of the crowd's reactions particularly particularly playing with like you know when you get into a position where like sean is stomping for the super kick and all chris jericho has to do is like pretend to be dazed lift one foot lift one knee up from the ground And then drop the knee back down to control the crowd's reactions. That to me is just like a a wonderful example of like a master orchestrator using the crowd to like, you know, increase and decrease volume. Um, Even the final sequence I thought was really impressive with Jericho going for that line salt, landing on his feet as he sees Sean's knees go up and then immediately locking on the walls, brief struggle uh, ultimately ending with Sean's reversal into, into the pin. It, it's all wonderfully, like, intricate and could have, like, you know, by by uh, an inch, a quarter of an inch, like, gone completely wrong, but they executed everything really fast and, and really to perfection. So, as a pure wrestling match, this is probably my favorite of, of, of the series.
1: Gets the thumbs up from Wei Ting. A very, uh, very good match be- between these two and keeps things uh, moving. And what would happen after um, is... Batista beats Shawn Michaels in a stretcher match at One Night Stand on June the 1st. And uh, so that kind of wraps up things with Batista and Shawn Michaels who kind of had this feud going on throughout this. It was almost like these concurrent feuds um, stemming from, you know, Batista blaming Shawn for ending the career of his mentor, Ric Flair. So there was a natural to go to those two as well. But all of a sudden, it's you know, the Jericho feud is taking off. So they kind of wrap this up and Batista moves on to, to his stuff and we dedicate Sean to Jericho. And this takes us... Well, before we
0: even move on, like, what does it tell you that, like, you know, the, the the wins and losses throughout these several months are, I would say, not necessarily completely consistent with Shawn Michaels, where, like, Shawn beats Jericho in this feud. I mean, he beats Flair. He beats, beats Jer- Jericho in this feud. And then loses to Batista. But I would say in the grand scheme of things, none of that really mattered. Right? You know, like, we they, they no matter what, they were able to find ways to reheat up the program to get you to want to see this rematch.
1: Well, and again, like I like, this was not a program that they had booked six months ahead of time. I think they were very much going by the seat of their pants. And I think that it was kind of just building upon things. Now, I would be curious, like... From the beginning part, this was not scheduled to be long-term. At what point it, does this start to have legs to it and they are seeing things through? It, it, like At some point, it looks like the plan is let's blow this off at SummerSlam. And we, we can get into that story later. But they ultimately choose to uh, bump it back a month to... Not coincide with all the big things happening at SummerSlam and they extend it to unforgiven, and then that gets extended to no mercy as well, so it seems like they have a loose idea of where they're going to take this and then trying to push it further
0: mm, yeah,
1: and, and I also feel like
0: to me it's just like the talent of the Ben to be able to like come up with ways to escalate after every single chapter in this story to you know just increase the stakes and to to i don't know increase the the physicality and the violence.
1: So we go to June the 9th, 2008, Monday Night Raw in Oakland, California for a segment of the highlight reel. And one thing I want to point out is that this is 2008 and in 2008, there is a company that is running wild called Affliction and the WWE had jumped onto this craze. And now all of a sudden, all these wrestlers have their knockoff WWE merchandise that is in the style of like bad affliction designs which by extension means all affliction designs so the fashion throughout this feud way was I don't need a time stamp I know exactly what year this is based on some of the outfits worn by both men in this feud
0: oh man like never before i th- i would say in fashion history has like the need to tell the world you know uh hey i have a i have a big penis like to, to be able to, like, try to advertise that on a T-shirt um, never has that need, I think, been so satiated uh, by the fragile male ego than with these shirts.
1: Well, we had <laughs> Chris Jericho explaining that his guest tonight was a hero to him when he was a kid, an inspiration, and now a mentor and a friend. And out comes Shawn Michaels, dressed in a gray tank top with acid wash jeans.
0: I mean, compared to the Sean of today, I would say this was uh, definitely a, a a decent
1: look. Okay. He didn't have the knee-high rubber boots. So that, that to me, was just Sean off the rails. Like, absolutely galoshes. not not giving a fuck Shawn Michaels at that point. Once he's coming onto TV with those boots, it's like, hey, take me or leave me. This is what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jericho brings up the fake knee injury. Michael says he would do whatever it took to win, and I never lied to the people, Chris. I only lied to you, as in, you are beneath me, and I don't feel any guilt lying to a scumbag like you. That's what I took as the interpretation here. And Jericho notes, why am I being booed when I told the truth, yet you are cheered, and you have become a lying worm? (laughs) and he attacks jericho a lying worm okay not an honest worm way a lying one
0: yeah well he he said lying worm and didn't he yeah he said pathetic lying little worm of a human being is what he said and like Seeing, it on, seeing that line on paper <laughs> and maybe even hearing it in your recap, John, it's like, how can you take anybody seriously? But when you watch the segment, his delivery, his demeanor, his face made this line feel excellent. And I think you, you have to look at the contrast where he starts off the segment being friends with Sean, like talking about Sean as a friend and as a mentor. And you remember, like the last match, the last time we saw these two together, they were shaking hands. The feud was over. It was cordial. And then Jericho gradually throughout the segment turns and really escalates to the point where he says this line. And by the time he says this line, the crowd definitely gives an audible gasp. What I thought was really unique about it was that sometimes like, you know, in these segments, the the, one person throws like the big kind of heat getting line. And then you expect a pause and a retort from the person, from the other person. Or if there is physicality, you would probably in this case expect it from Sean. You know, to deck the guy for calling him a little worm. Instead, Jericho says it. And then almost immediately, before he could even finish the sentence, immediately shoots at Sean and starts brawling and starts beating up on Sean. You know, to, like, this physicality just kind of came out of nowhere. And it, to me, was really effective because it was almost shocking. And um, it, it totally kind of, like, re-escalated this feat to a different level.
1: Yeah, and I mean, again, you've heard Jericho talk about, like, the big inspiration for this version of himself that he's uh, becoming at this point. He notes, like, Nick Bockwinkle for the suits and the vocabulary, but also uh, Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men, as in this very low-talking, menacing individual that can— be diabolical at a moment's notice and just kind of like a more calm but extremely dangerous uh, tendencies that he's trying to adopt as well and another like little ode here to that wrestlemania match is sean on his knees and jericho just pie faces him to the floor which is the scene right out of the end of wrestlemania 19 and he takes sean and runs him into the Geratron 5000. And Jericho did note in his bookway that this was a, a subtle ode to one of the most famous angles in Michael's career when he throws Marty Jannetty through the shop window. And Sean's, uh, the glass just shatters here that they used and were able to sell the concussion and a potential eye injury, which Sean had uh, like this wandering eye that people had noticed o- over time and they were now going to incorporate this into the story with jericho attacking his eye
0: the injury came from a, a pre-existing eye injury i believe in 2004 in a match with kane but you know it was like whoa sorry did speak kane the, just interrupt us speak of the devil
1: oh my gosh oh i can hear that outside too yeah we're getting like crazy <laughs> thunder uh, here in toronto yeah, um, you know, but like, and not the like, WCW kind. I promise. No, no,
0: we're not talking about that. But the nature of the injury is that it was like slowly progressing, and I guess by the time this, you know, it got to 2008, maybe it was starting to become noticeable. But to be able to kind of use that to add more heat to the to the feud through just a a wonderful, again, shocking, like everything, like the ground and pound was like okay, whatever. But like to see a man's face get smashed through glass, um, and, and a TV. Um, I thought just, again, continue to really elevate this and to turn this feud into a far more personal one than what they started with.
1: Yeah, and the the ending of this is Jericho watching the replay on the Tron before he walks to the back. So, I mean, this was a great segment. This was, the like, I would say, like, you have all these matches to go to, but this is one of the major segments. I would say, like, this and SummerSlam are the two big angles that you associate with this feud. Definitely. So we go next to the Great American Bash. So this is this is a month and a half later, um, where they are in Uniondale, New York, at the Nassau Coliseum, and way it is the night after Affliction Band. All right. Yes. Recently re- reviewed. Yes, in your rewind away archives. Uh, If you want to live now, you can live the relive this whole weekend in 2008. Put Uh, on your affliction shirt and just sit back and enjoy. That's it. So. Uh, During this time period, they had also had the Night of Champions pay-per-view where they get the title off of Jericho, where Kofi Kingston beats him after Shawn Michaels interferes. So now we don't have this this belt to get in the way of things. We just have our straight-up grudge between Jericho and Shawn Michaels, and Kofi Kingston is your intercontinental champion.
0: You know, it was also a way to, like, I guess, further the program with, like, Jericho having lost something else now. You know, after Jericho, or after, you know, he took,
1: nearly took Sean's eye out. So, um, it all worked out. They have this long stare down as Michaels is very noticeably chewing bubblegum. And we also have the red, white, and blue ropes for the Great American Bash.
0: Because America.
1: America. Jericho goes after the ribs, the eternal injury of Sean Michaels, and... You know, even before that, John, like, I,
0: you can tell so much about, like, where the story lies, just, and, and this is unique to, like, maybe this format of show, because, uh, you know, when we watch all these matches in a vacuum, we might not notice it, but you can even see it in the entrances, where, like, you compare the demeanor of, like, Chris Jericho as he walks out for that first match, compared to the second match, where he looks um, incredibly determined, there's no cockiness in his face, he's completely serious, and um, it's... To me, like, just even that alone, again, it's a reminder that, like, the great wrestlers out there are immediately wrestling from the time they walk out of that stage, you know, even before they get into the ring.
1: Certainly. Um, And I think you also pick up on a lot in... Where we're just watching these all together, match to match to match, and you, you're you're seeing crossover between the matches and different little things that maybe sometimes can get lost in the details when you're just consuming all this stuff on a weekly basis. And you've got, I mean, we're we're two months removed from the Judgment Day match. By the time they're getting to match number two, yes, and, and new commentators. Oh, that's right. Who, who's on uh, for for this one?
0: this is is after the draft no you're right
1: jim ross still jr wait this is
0: this is still jr i I think it's the next one where we would have uh different
1: yeah it becomes michael cole and jerry lawler um after the draft uh which i can't remember if the draft had taken place by this point or not but that's that's the famous year where jim ross gets moved to smackdown without his knowledge and uh And that whole ordeal that leads to, yeah, Cole and Lawler as the voices of Raw. So this spot used to always drive me nuts. Um, I'm sure at the time I was critical of the spot that here we've got Sean selling the ribs. But then he does that kip-up spot. And I always hated when he would do that when he's selling his ribs or his knee. But I will say, like, that kip-up God, it gets a pop, like, every time from the audience. Like, I can understand where you're sacrificing logic for the pop here, that this kip-up would just always get with Sean, that his timing of when to use that kip-up was always very good, even though um, a kip-up wouldn't be my priority if my ribs are bruised. Well, you know, at that stage of the match, I mean, that is the
0: equivalent of the hulk-up, you know, except, like, reduced and kind of compacted into, like, one swift movement, right? And when you're hulking up... You don't feel pain anymore. That's adrenaline.
1: Okay. (laughs) Michaels uh, kicks Jericho off the buckle and lands his elbow off the top. He calls for sweet chin music when Lance Cade runs down. And during this time, they have attached Lance Cade to this story as Chris Jericho's muscle. And Jericho has said in his book that he was given several suggestions of who could play the heater in this role. One of the suggestions was Ricky Ortiz that you might remember. He was on ECW for a time period during this era. And instead uh, Jericho went to FCW and he spotted this jacked up monster that had a similar haircut to him and said, I want this guy who was Rob Terry uh, who would end up getting released soon. So it would not be Rob Terry. And then (laughs) Rob Terry with Chris Jericho as sort of like the –
0: like Chris Jericho as like a mini-me or like Rob Terry as a hulked-up version of Chris Jericho
1: because like, yeah, they didn't have the same haircut. Dude, they're two people you would never think are alike. But when Jericho wrote that in his book about, oh, he had the same hair as me, I was like, God, there is like a weird similarity between those two. Like, (laughs) that I – I think it would almost like if you played it up, it would have been like comedic uh, to see these two together.
0: It, it kind of would have been like twins, don't you think? Like the, the Denny Devito, <laughs> a little bit, Arnold Schwarzenegger, a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: and Rob Terry was just like a just jacked up individual. Um, and then they settled on Lance Cade, which Lance Cade was trained by Sean Michaels. I was like, this this was a. This, this should have been the number 1 pick probably um but things with Lance Cade would not end well because he ended up uh having um what was uh described as a seizure on an airplane in October and gets fired um where Jim Ross had said at the time that he made a major league mistake while utilizing bad judgment that uh cost him his job so um yeah this this seizure on this plane Uh, led to Cade's dismissal from the company. Hold on a second. like, So how was the seizure his fault? um, It's definitely implied that this was... um, that Lance Cade probably had done something to cause this. This was not, um, like, an unforeseen medical episode. I mean, they don't say that it's involved with, like, drugs or not, but that's certainly the implication here. Gotcha. They're not firing someone just for having a... A medical episode on a on a plane that is they clearly saw this as a behavioral incident and he gets fired in the in the midst of this well it's october that he ends up getting fired but this he was like in the midst of like a pretty significant run they even put him over sean on tv at one point later Hmm. yeah it's a sad story with lance Cade. he would die um two years later he was only 29 Uh, died of heart failure. A very tragic story uh, with Lance Cade. But uh, that's kind of the backstory here of how he is tied into all of this. And so Cade runs down and Jericho takes him out and Michaels climbs and hits a moonsault onto Jericho and Cade on the floor. Neither guy caught Sean, so he just wipes out on the floor. This was brutal looking. It's, um... I guess it's a gamble, those dives. So you're so focused on this moonsault and Sean just crashing and burning that if you're not paying attention, you almost miss this elbow shot from Jericho. Um, I guess the the origin of the Judas effect without the, the swing. And he nails Michaels in the eye. And this elbow <laughs> slices open Sean Michaels. And dude, it is a river coming out of sean michaels he is it's almost like the elbow strike really did not explain like this gusher coming from sean's eye
0: no nah, i mean i i think an elbow does i mean you've seen plenty of ufc fights where big cuts are caused by elbows this way like if there's any body part it would be either a shin or an elbow that could do this damage
1: But it's typically going to be like a like a a cut to, you know, the forehead above the eye. They were this is like his retina is bleeding and squirting out blood.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't I'm not sure if they specifically pinpointed where the where the damage was. But I mean, I guess if you're a wrestling fan, you're not necessarily like, you know, if the if the cut is in the vicinity. The other question is, how do you showcase an eye injury in the body of a match? well that's it
1: they wanted something visual i mean an eye injury is not something you typically associate with like blood loss um but they i mean this would all play into like this was the whole focus of the ending to this and um like this is an insane amount of blood by wwe standards like sean is just totally covered in blood um, Marty Elias is the referee who seemed to be uh, a fixture as their referee throughout this feud and he's checking on Sean he was really good yeah I thought you know he you know I noticed him in several of these matches so I imagine like he was kind of assigned to at least most of these and Jericho then gift wraps Sean and attacks mm. him with punches. And dude, Marty Elias does like the John McCarthy here and tackles Jericho off and calls for the bell at 1820. Uh I would imagine way that you had no issue with this finish. I love these types of non-traditional finishes, but the crowd was not quite ready for this and you definitely heard boos and they tend to to Sean and they're questioning if he has a detached retina. They go to a, they find like the concerned looking fans in the crowd. I thought it was really well done, completely justified with the amount of blood involved here. And again, I think if you want to do stoppages, you have to kind of go through that educational process for the audience to accept them. But you, you, you definitely did get that mix to the reaction of probably people that looked at it as a non-traditional finish and others that were just booing the fact that Sean lost. I,
0: I would say it's probably a far more palatable type of finish for an MMA fan, you know, cause I mean, this finish was certainly modeled after, you know, um, an MMA type of referee stoppage. But I would say also, if you're a fan who maybe bought a ticket to be there, you, you know, every fan who buys a ticket to go to see a, a really hyped up match wants to think that they're there to see the fina- final chapter the ultimate culmination where everything is decisive and completely ends, and a finish like this signifies that okay this match will likely continue even though like in reality like if this was a tKO like that, the feud would be done there, there would be no rematch, you know like this was pretty definitive, but in pro wrestling um it's it it it, it is decisive but it is not definitive by any means. So um, I thought it was really, again, totally different from their first match. Where well, the first match, I would say it was far more technical. This one was just violent and completely bloody and ended in a very untechnical way with Chris Jericho simply delivering that wonderful gift wrap, which they would go on to revisit afterwards and delivering that awesome, awesome crown and pound. A- and the visual of that blood was entirely gruesome. And I think totally different from the first match and perfect to capitalize on sort of like where they were in this particular moment of this feud after the jertron attack so man sean came here looking for revenge and instead um he got beaten down far worse than anyone has ever seen so this to me was sort of like the empire strikes back you know or an uh infinity war chapter of the program where you think chapter two the guy's going to come back and he's going to win again good guy's going to win again instead he loses and so we build up to the to the to the third act where he he might get a
1: finally get that revenge but um or maybe he won't yeah this is like when uh, a has deferred and not accepted the 50 million dollars from the state and the police are not uh are not getting their budget and the police are not even getting paid overtime morale's at the all time low how worse can things get in baltimore exactly i stole it right out of your uh your follow up there, uh, I, I thought this was really strong stuff. Um, you know, blood is like I think wrestling fans have like this weird relationship with like the usage of blood, and as we further evolve, I think look at it as like probably a aspect of wrestling that is not not this not the most sanitizing way to tell stories, but. Also cannot be deniable that when utilized properly, it's super effective and does add a, a certain emotion to it. And this was this was on the higher end. When you look at WWE, WWF or WWE um, blood in matches, this one's pretty high. And I don't know if people necessarily associate this visual, but this was... Just a river that Sean was bleeding by the end of it, and comes just two days before the official change to the company going PG, and blood being a thing of the past. At least in theory, it would be a thing of the past. Uh, we would certainly uh, see blood utilized more, but it's th- this is kind of this was supposed to be kind of an end of an era. What this match represented,
0: they snuck it in. They snuck it in right before the deadline.
1: Get your blood in before. well just, just to headline. look at like the chi- the difference in the landscape in WWE, they do a match like this in July. come November, that's when Batista and Jericho do a cage match where they they sneak in blood and Vince McMahon famously go they have cameras and catch them blading and it leads to Batista getting fined like a hundred thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, so That's you, uh, the
1: difference of July versus November. Um and the changing of this era. So I guess Sean going for all it was worth here. You know, as a as a fan, I there's definitely
0: um uh, I would I, I've I've greatly enjoyed the use of blood. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. I greatly enjoyed the use of it here, but It's something that I really hope, you know, the professional wrestling industry is very responsible with um, and that they don't overuse, um, which I feel like AEW was almost getting to that point, you know, for a bit, Maybe whether or not intentionally, sometimes it was unintentional, but as a device, if it is going to be used i hope it's for a very special occasion where the storyline completely warrants it and will benefit from it and i hope it's done in sanitary fashion with like you know hopefully it's at the end of this of the night where something like this takes place and the cleanup has to be top notch you know fitting of a professional company
1: yeah i think it's one of those where i think it's a lot like the extreme weight cutting we see in mma where i think everyone knows the potential for problems and it's only going to be when there's Some awful event that happens in a major promotion like the UFC that it will open people up. I think the same can be said for, like, the utilization of blood in that when the two participants come out of it unscathed and there's no problems, it's like you only look at the benefit of it. Whereas if there were an an incident where, God forbid, someone contracted something or... A disease was spread, then it would be a major issue, and people would look at it of really questioning things. And when you when there's no kind of downside to it, it's it's easier, I think, to rely upon what are the positive aspects blood brings about in various storytelling. Well, I mean,
0: blood's been pretty constant in pro wrestling for a long time, and I would say like they've had a wrestling had a pretty decent track record of, I guess, you know, not people not transmitting disease, given how much blood has been let. You know, in, in pro wrestling. So, should, I mean, is, is, you know, does that tell you that it might be an overreaction? I, I, w-
1: I would say that, I mean, medically speaking, I mean, it's, you know, you, you do have some wrestlers that, I mean, like Nigel McGuinness, like he would not be involved in anything uh, involving blood, like did not even want to be in a ring after people uh, had bled. Like he had his concerns about that. And I think that's kind of a responsible way to look at it. I will say, like, if if you are going to use blood, it's like the WWE, to me, had the worst uh, scenario where they wanted to ban blading, so guys would just open each other hard way, and the most grotesque example of this was was with Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. Like, that, to me, is the worst. It's like, Mm -hmm. you're utilizing blood, but you're not even doing it the safest way, and... How about a a concussion with your blood? That's, like, just insanity. I I cannot believe that in the modern era that occurred. That might be one of the more astonishing choices that the WWE made at a time when they were still involved in that that whole concussion lawsuit. It's uh, like to me it was just a completely lacking any kind of thought um that they okayed that. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. We go to SummerSlam. So Again, it was uh, explained in Jericho's book that the plans were for them to have their big blow-off match at SummerSlam, but it was Michaels who felt that between Edge and Undertaker having a Hell in a Cell match on that show, and a big match involving John Cena and Batista, that their program would get overshadowed. So let's... Let's have Unforgiven to ourselves in September. And instead, they came up like Vince wanted something big with this program. And they came up with this idea of Sean selling the effects of the eye injury from the Great American Bash. And he would make a big announcement at SummerSlam regarding his career because, way, his evaluation with his doctors will take place on the Friday before SummerSlam. And he will reveal the results of that evaluation live on pay-per-view. (laughs) um it's a ridiculous thing but i i mean
0: the 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 subtle the subtext here was that sean might be announcing his retirement and and that i do feel is worthy of a pay-per-view spot
1: well they had a big segment planned here and sean says in the lead up to this that he is prepared to walk away if his eyesight is in fact in danger because of his family So he comes out with his wife, Rebecca, and Sean, it's SummerSlam, folks. This is not just some raw in the middle of nowhere. It's SummerSlam. It's the big show. So that means a yellow shirt with a design (laughs) of a man riding a horse. (laughs) How do you compliment said shirt with man riding a horse? With a beige blazer and black jeans
0: Listen, okay? Um
1: we're far from the
0: days of the heartbreak kid um in the 90s. I um I mean, who who are we to, you know, judge a man's fashion sense, you know? Us entering sort of like the sa- same years as Sean was at this age. Um beige shirt with the we will have to check with WH for the proper critique.
1: So Sean says that the doctors have recommended that he retire. It's time to heed their advice and walk away. He says, I've had a great career. I remember my first SummerSlam in 1988, and I'll be known for a lot of things. I will be known as the guy that screwed Bret Hart. I'll be known as one of the founders of DX, a man who innovated the ladder match. I'll also be known as someone that lost his smile and retired Ric Flair, but now I can be known as a full-time husband and a full-time father. A great speech from Shawn Michaels, and one of the rare times way where I thought like the, the musical interruption by Chris Jericho was so perfect. Like This crowd, they were totally at the edge of this guy's words, and this asshole comes out to crash the party.
0: Oh, there's real great sincerity in Sean's, you know, fake retirement speech here. Um, to the point where, like, I think most people at the time probably recognized that this was storyline and that they're they'd be building to another match. But nonetheless, I I thought the job was done terrifically by Sean, and let's give it up for Rebecca Hickenbottom. You know, like her role in this in this feud, I mean, only took place in this night, but I I think you can't really understate it enough, but it it was obviously more than maybe the culminating incident in this segment, right down to her walking out here and a tear flowing down her face as Sean is giving his fake retirement speech. Um, Definitely, you know, a performer. Um, So she, she was magnificent in this.
1: Apparently Sean's original idea was to, bring his kids out as well uh and then they opted just to use rebecca i don't know if it would have been too much adding the kids to this whole scene i think it worked pretty well just the way it was
0: god i'm just trying to imagine like the scene playing out as it would with the kids being there and i number one i would you know i would hope that they would smarten the kids up um and secondly i don't know how that would go and if they didn't smarten the kids up i think that'd be terrible well
1: remember his kids are god off I would imagine these kids were around the ages of like eight and like three or four at this time. So I don't know. I feel that would have been especially it's not planned to end this way. But the way this ends, I think it would have taken the heat away from Jericho and been more so heat on the company as a bit of a too exploitive it would have
0: yeah and i don't think they would have done the punch if the kids were there like i'd like to think that they would you know well, I, like, you have
1: to do it i think like mm-hmm. that's the whole pu- purpose of the
0: segment there are other ways to get heat you know with like ultimately it just has to end with 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 jericho somehow threatening or insulting or doing something to sean's family um might have involved the kids i hope that you know they like you would think that well, Sean, if you punched one of the kids i think it would have been way worse well no obviously it wouldn't be a punch it would be something else. Like he could have said something really, really mean, you know, to the to the kid's father. Um, there are, I'm sure, multiple ways of doing it, but I I really feel like they couldn't have done better than what they did
1: in this. No, I, I, this whoever ended up making the choice, I I think not having the kids was the right call, and so Jericho now he's you know full suit. Um, We'll hear about suit fittings uh, later on in the show, but I mean, he has fully become this character now that we best associate with this time period. And he just comes in there and his first words are, no, I will not allow you to leave this business without acknowledging that you're leaving because of what I did to you. And he says that he wants him to admit it and that the epitaph of his life will read that Jericho made him leave the industry. Yeah. I don't know if they'd fit all that text on uh, onto a epitaph, but that would be... It'd be a mouthful.
0: That'd be small print. mm mm-hmm.
1: uh, Michaels says, I will admit that I can't continue because of the actions of a vile, worthless human being. But Chris, you are going to have to go tell your wife and your children that Daddy will never be Shawn Michaels.
0: I love this line. Great line. Amazing delivery. And I think it especially stings because, you you know, there's truth to it. Like, no matter how great of a performer Chris Jericho is, even to this day, I mean, maybe there are some, there'd be many people actually maybe, maybe, maybe making the argument that, you know, Jericho all-time is above Shawn Michaels at this point. But certainly at the time... Um, that didn't seem to be a possibility for a long long while what do you think actually john in
1: terms of comparing the two yeah as all time um great you know who who do you i think sean time? sean's legacy is always going to be surrounding his matches and you know it's a tremendous body of work that he has with jericho yes there's there's quite the in-ring component to it and I'm actually going to get into a part that I don't think he gets enough focus on with with his career but to me like I've said this before I think that when I was going to say when the book of Jericho is written there's been several of them but the The definitive one the, the, the sixth one I honestly believe these last couple of years are going to be as impactful as any of them. And it's not even so much like the inner circle stuff or storyline stuff. It's what he has meant for changes in the industry. Like his decision to go to new Japan and him being the, the flag bearer for AEW for their first year and you take him out of there, does AEW get off to the same success? Do they get that renewal on TNT? Like those are the things I think Jericho is going to be looked upon. Um, I would say for the industry as a whole, I look at these last three years as the most important for the health of the industry. Even though if you're looking kind of in just the body of Jericho's career, he himself has looked at this 2008 run is the best run of his career
0: I, I would not disagree with you on that point because to me i wouldn't even be having this comparison this conversation about you know who whether jericho or or sean like to me it would be sean no doubt except for jericho getting out of this company and showing just how great of a top guy he is both in new japan and now especially in aew how great of a company leader he is and how great he is at elevating so many other people that he has he's already helped you know in 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 aew um it it is i mean as important to me what he's done in these past three years as anything he's accomplished prior
1: so this um is the big moment of the feud because as jericho winds up he goes to punch sean who gets out of the way and boom Chris Jericho nails Rebecca right in the mouth and Michaels is just seething as Jericho who is aware in real time of what has just happened that he actually connected up. with her and he's got to still sell this and he explained um I'll, I'll read this uh this one quick part from his book that I uh that I isolated so he writes Earlier in the day, we had gone over the whole scenario and I timed my punch to stop right before it made any contact with her. I've thrown thousands of working punches, as we call them, but this one was a little more important because it wasn't another trained worker I was swinging at. It was Sean's wife we were talking about. In order to time it right, I told her not to move so I could judge the distance and throw the punch accordingly. Even though Rebecca had been in WCW for a short time working as Nitro Girl Whisper, she had never wrestled or taken a bump as far as I knew, but that didn't matter because if I executed the punch perfectly, it was going to look vicious, but I didn't execute it properly. When Sean ducked, I leaned slightly forward, and so did Rebecca. Neither of us meant to shift our positions, but we did, and in a total fluke, my fist smashed her right in the mouth. It wasn't a glancing blow either. I nailed her hard. I felt her lip mash against my knuckles like I'd popped a grape. She went down fast as the crowd gasped in horror. Sean dropped to his knees beside her crying, and I stood there helpless in disbelief. Before the show, Vince told me to act concerned about what I did, but not exaggeratedly. He didn't want me to show remorse, but he also didn't want me to laugh or act cocky. The look on my face said it all, as I was the kid at the birthday party who tried to get attention by pushing the cake on the floor, but now knew he'd gone too far. That is a beautiful
0: description of um, exactly the look that he gave. And, uh, you know, really great direction from Vince, it sounds like. because yes. um, Jericho, I thought, nailed that exact thing. It was as, as subtle as of an expression that told you everything you needed to know about the scenario and what the character was thinking at the time. Um, and, again, it's like one of those great incidents in the WWE where the announcers just completely step back.
1: Don't Silent. say a word. Yep. They yep. totally backed off. Mm-hmm.
0: there was nothing the announcers could have added with their reaction that would have made this feel any more realistic than it did it, it, it's so much more interesting because like you know i'm watching this and i'm thinking okay all of this is intentional you meant to decker um you know like because like well how else would this have gone but to maybe kind of think about some of the behind the scenes of what it was supposed to be and maybe the him you know connecting a little too hard um certainly makes you a lot more interested, perhaps. Um, and when you see obviously... the
1: close up, like you can see her lip swelling, and that's when, like, you can see that. Oh my God, he really caught her. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, so again, you know, like with every iteration of this feud, there is something new for them to hate each other over. The first time it was like, Ah, this guy's lying. I'm gonna catch you in a lie. Second time, he tried to end my career by shoving my face into into the Tron. Third time. This man hit my wife every time it was more and more severe, um and it just like continued to just really really build and, and really explains perhaps the longevity of this one
1: yeah i mean this you needed to do something that could justify Sean Michaels continuing his career. He has just announced he's walking away, but Jericho has committed the ultimate sin that Michaels cannot walk away he has to deliver punishment to this individual and that's the promo the next night he's going back on his word and he is going to fight jericho and that sets up the unsanctioned match at unforgiven on september the 7th 2008
0: yeah and in the in the meantime sean
1: has acquired a brand new body part to work that's right because in the go home segment for this show um they do like a brawl and Sean legitimately uh, messes up his triceps, and it is thought that he might have a complete tear, and it's not until, like, the Friday before the pay-per-view that Jericho gets a call from Sean, and it's only a partial tear, and he'll be able to do the match. And they actually explain it on the show as legitimate like they say that he had a partial tear but by going through with this match he risks completely tearing it off the bone so that this was a real injury that he sustained the Monday prior um and going into this with a partial triceps tear
0: so just to recap everybody he's got the bad back coming off of the Wrestlemania match with Flair um the what ribs. is it bad ribs yep um and then the the eye injury of course from the Tron uh, His wife got hit, and now the guy also has a torn tendon in his arm.
1: Dude, the, the video leading into this, Michael's calling for an eye for an eye and stating that I hope God can forgive me one day for what I'm going to do to Chris Jericho. Lovely.
0: Both men. You know, you know what would have been great, though?
1: is if an eyeball actually um, came out. Oh, my God. Does this, is, this is feud at least uh, <laughs> justify my disdain for that feud last year? Can you imagine this yeah, feud in course. 2020 where that probably would have been proposed to to Shawn Michaels? Oh, Shawn would be wearing an eye patch
0: for like, you know, five months after that Jeritron thing. He'd be wrestling with an eye patch. Yeah. Um Yeah, no. The just, eye! Uh,
1: it's out! <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it, that, and it that, went back that, in he's fine now is that is that someone <laughs> joe's lasting legacy as a commentator it's that's out the that's the line i'm always going to remember joe on commentary for that and him in the uh the the poncho at wrestlemania
0: yes <laughs> yes
1: so both men have signed hold harmless agreements for the wwe that they are not liable and as chris jericho comes out michael cole says that he spoke to sean earlier who told Michael Cole to look up Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. And it's a verse about the walls of Jericho coming down. Ooh, cool. Yes. So Michael's Michael's getting all he can out of uh, his Bible studies for this program. Hey, I will say this. Michael's did dress the part here. Jeans and cowboy boots for the unsanctioned match. And this, again, another, like, Jericho is very good at like bringing you into his like headspace for all of this. He said his thinking of wearing his regular gear was his idea is that he is not respecting the severity of this match and what Sean can do to him, that he's just in his normal gear, whereas Sean is dressed for a fight. Okay. I buy it. Michaels attacks him with the cowboy boot and is just, destroying him with this boot and jericho like the bridge of his nose is bleeding pretty early on here we get chairs involved and jericho attacks with a table and he he has the heat teases a vertical suplex from the ring onto the table but michaels is able to block that uh this crowd is just going wild for michaels as he's fighting back he's utilizing the cross face and and then gets sent to the chair that has been sent uh, set up in the corner. And Michael starts holding his eye after being knocked into this chair. So Jericho plies the walls. He's not going to release at the rope. So Jericho gets hit with a fire extinguisher that Michael shoots into Jericho's face.
0: Yeah, those those always scare me. Because I always hear about like people getting asthma or something.
1: I think the fire so. extinguisher spots, it's... Clearly the visual is enough for a crowd to respond because I would imagine that 99% of your audience has never been sprayed with a fire extinguisher in their life.
0: No. I, I mean, I haven't.
1: Well, that's that's a good streak to keep up. But effective. It's effective. Lance Cade comes out, takes a big lariat from Michael's, um, and they go after his triceps, wrapping it around the post, and then they double-team Michael's, Uh, putting a chair around the arm. But then Cade gets knocked into the rope. He crotches Jericho, sweet chin music to Cade, and then nails Jericho off the turnbuckle as he plunges through a table that's been set up on the floor. Uh, So Michaels then takes Jericho, rolls him onto the announcer's desk, and puts Cade on top of him as michael's proceeds to drop an elbow from the top through the announcer's desk and this was just a crazy crazy spot it was crazy cuz i i you know like with two bodies
0: on that table i don't know how much room it really really left him to to land um and you know having already gone through the, the moon salt onto the the hard part of that the edge of that table i'm sure he you know he was well aware of what that felt like but you know it seemed to work out really well
1: Michaels uses his whip uh, or his belt to whip Jericho. Lawler screams that he's possessed by the devil. And then Sean turns the tables. He gift wraps Jericho. He's driving strikes into his head. And finally, after all of these unanswered punches, Marty Elias waves it off at 26 minutes and 54 seconds. And still, you did get booze for this ending, at least from some of the audience. And Michaels continues his attack. Elias is pulling him off. And Sean snaps, hitting poor Marty Elias with the sweet chin music. And he is down on his knees. Sean is on the cusp of tears. He has been broken by Jericho. Jericho has has broken the link between Sean and his God. And Michael Cole asks, will God ever forgive Sean Michaels?
0: Oh, I wonder. I don't know. But, you know, like I thought it, 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 I think all the religious stuff, it actually like really helps because, I mean, you have to sell the fact that Sean is digging into a part of himself that he does not want, you know, the world to see. It's a it's a it's a completely angry side of him that, you know, justifiably is unleashed after seeing his wife get hit by this man. Um, So he had to kind of like reduce his own values and his own morals to try to get to this level where he could deliver this level of beating. And the TKO finish again, I thought was like really appropriate here, but I do understand if you're a fan watching this in wrestling, not getting used to it. Like, again, you want something definitive and you don't want the element of another human being coming in to stop the match to be the reason why the match ends. Um, In MMA, it's just like, you understand why that happens because, like, it's final because there's no way this person's getting up anyway. But in wrestling, you know, we also are kind of very used to sort of, like, the crescendo of, like, hitting the, 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 the finishing move and then the one, two, three, you know, to get to that, like, climax. So to have the match instead end as the guy is punching another man and the ref simply calling the bell, I can, I can totally empathize with the audience to, you know, say why that would be unsatisfying. But, you know, watching this in hindsight with the full picture coming out of it, like, it, to me, it was another wonderful chapter that, again, like, delivered some high-intensity uh, action as well as excellent storytelling.
1: Yeah, like, this is a, a really tremendous match from the the, the two. They, this is definitely the longest of the matches that we're reviewing here at almost 27 minutes. Then later in the show, Shawn Michaels is interviewed. And he said that the worst is yet to come. Jericho has awoken something in him that he doesn't know if he can or wants to control. Uh, But that would not be the end. Because this night would end where CM Punk is the world champion going into the show. And this was when they were doing the one and only scramble concept. Where, in true WWE fashion, they came up with this scramble match. Where you would have multiple people fighting within, I think it was a 20-minute time limit, and the last one to score the fall would win the match. So instead of doing one, they did three of these on the show. And the final one is uh, CM Punk is removed from the match by Randy Orton after a punt kick, and there to take his spot as the last entrant is Chris Jericho, who sneaks a pin on Kane, and Batista is costed the it's cost the win after he had had the final pin. Cannot say it was a crazy uh, conclusion that they did not bring this scramble concept back. But Jericho leaves as champion, and you've got the natural program for the title after Jericho had lost earlier in the night to Shawn, and they would come back a month later with the big ladder match.
0: And that was the first half of... Just a bit of a sampling of this week's Rewind Away. If you enjoyed the episode, go to postwrestlingcafe.com and sign on for as little as $6 a month. Support Post Wrestling and listen to the rest of this podcast, also featuring, of course, an uh, interview with former WWE writing staff member Brad Corbett, Jake Simpson, our executive producer, going through the trivia gauntlet for 2008. And then you can join us every single week for Rewind to SmackDown, Rewind Away, Ask Away, Talk, MCU Later. All these other shows. All the shows that we've ever, ever, ever done on our Patreon. So postwrestlingcafe.com. See you guys next time.